Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by National Roper Supply. NRS is proud to be the number one Western store in the USA and have been providing quality Western wear and horse tax since 1989. NRS is a one-stop shop for all things Western. And now, Modern Cowboy brand apparel is available at NRS, as well as the Cowboy Whey Protein from our Modern Cowboy Performance Nutrition line. Click the link in our Instagram bio to shop the Modern Cowboy collection at NRS World. And be sure and use code MODERNCOWBOY at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. Now, that's not only on Modern Cowboy brand products, but on everything NRS carries, with only a few exceptions. So shop Modern Cowboy brand at NRS. Use code MODERNCOWBOY for a 10% discount on your entire purchase at checkout. And remember... Whether you're the most punchy West Texas cowboy or you work on Wall Street and wear cowboy boots, Modern Cowboy is the brand for the cowboy in all of us. Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. of the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Uh, super excited to have my guest on today. Uh, it's interesting how we met. Uh, we met uh, on an online app. I say that uh, jokingly, but through, I think it was LinkedIn actually is where I think initially uh, Marty uh, had reached out to me. But uh, uh, anyway, we we ended up, you know, communicating on, on LinkedIn a little bit. And then Marty came through Wickenburg with his family and a bunch of friends. And, and we actually met and we just kind of really hit it off. And and what's interesting is Marty is a retired FBI agent. So everybody that's listened to the podcast knows that I've always wanted to be that guy with my badge on my belt and my gun wearing my regular clothes, kind of uh, detective, you know, um, uh, super lawman. But uh, so anyway, I've always been enamored with it. But something else is I've been watching all the uh, Narcos series on uh, on Netflix and I really got into them and I love them. 
it's a it's a interesting interesting uh you know career or job uh, i mean and I, I can't imagine really even doing it but marty has done it for did it for over 30 years marty also ropes and uh, uh got a lot of ties in the in the western community and cowboy world so super excited to have him on uh we're going to talk uh, a little bit about everything so marty welcome to the modern cowboy podcast hey thanks for having me on so yeah so now you know let's just we'll go right from the beginning uh what made you decide to be an FBI agent? How'd that come about? Well, you know, as a kid, everybody wants to be something, a fireman, uh, whatever. I never even thought about being an FBI agent. I always wanted to be either a baseball player, football player, you know, just like a typical kid or a cowboy. And um, when I was in college, my roommate wanted to be an FBI agent. It's all he ever talked about. So I got a degree in economics and I had a little bit of time left. So I ended up with a degree of uh, criminal justice as well. And uh, after I got out of college, uh, I looked at the FBI, but you had to be a certain age. And I was I went to college a little young. I was 17 when I left and I was uh, graduated early. Uh, so I, um, you know, I looked at the FBI, but I wasn't the minimum age yet. So I got a job working in a bank. I was pretty bored for a few years. <laughs> so uh, right I worked at a bank for several years, and then Timothy McVeigh blew up the buildings in Oklahoma City and really piqued my interest. Um, my uh, secretary at the bank at the time, her husband was an FBI agent, and he came in the bank one day, and him and I started shooting the bull, and he said, you ever thought about being an FBI agent? And I said, well, you know, with all that just happened, I, I, you know, it's very interesting. He came back the next day with an application. Now, this was back at, when we had uh, slow mail. Right. And uh, it was before emails. So I got the application and I went home, talked to my wife and I said, hey, I'm thinking about becoming an FBI agent. And sort of, you know, typical. She laughed at me. <laughs> and then I handed her the application. I think it was about 14 pages long. And uh, she she filled it out for me. I don't want to tell anybody, you know, now that I'm retired, I could tell them that my wife filled out my application, uh, filled it out for me. And uh, that was in uh, June. And in August, they contacted me and said, hey, let's come back for an interview uh, and what they call phase one testing. And after I took the test, it was a lot of logic and reasoning and, and math. And uh, I walked out of there thinking there's no way they're going to choose me to be an FBI agent. And lo and behold, they called me up and said, hey, we're setting you for phase two testing. Now, usually the process to become an agent is about two years long. But after McVeigh blew up the buildings, they were expediting guys through. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is December now, and they sent me to Santa Monica, California for phase two testing. And this was during the OJ trial. And I'm wow. staying in the same hotel with uh, all the witnesses for the OJ trial that I was just watching on TV. Just a little side note. Uh, but anyway, I ended up passing phase two testing somehow and came back home and uh, they uh, dropped me a letter in the mail saying, you've passed this and we'd like to offer you a contract based on uh, a job based on uh, you completing a background check, a physical and a physical assessment. So I, like I said, this was back there in the day when they actually delivered mail to you. And uh, I got the application, I'm running up the driveway, waving it. And uh, my wife says, uh, you know, I hand it to her and she reads it. She goes, well, either they really lowered their standards or you're a lot smarter than you look. <laughs> so, so this was in December and uh, they finished my background, my application, that process. Um, physical assessment. And uh, in February, they said, you got two weeks to report to Quantico. 
uh, February of 97. So I wasn't quite in the FBI uh, 30 years. It was more like 23 and a half, 24 years. Okay. Um, so I, I leave for Quantico, leave my family and had a brand new little baby girl and headed to Quantico, Virginia. And, and that's where it started. So Quantico, that, now that's the, the training uh, facility for FBI. Is it, it, it's gotta be like similar to military training. It, it is. It, the FBI and the DEA share the same facility. There's uh, When I went through, we actually ate lunch together and, and had physical fitness together and that, that type thing. Now DEA has built a separate facility there. It's, uh, and uh, when you get there, you know, you're sort of in awe, or I was. And, right. uh, and first of all, I was a little older. I was 32 at the time when I went through. And, um, you know, I'm thinking this is going to be like the military. And, and for the first couple of weeks, you know, they sort of treat you a little tough. Right. Uh, but it's 17, at the time I went through is about 17 and a half weeks of training. Okay. Uh, now I think the training is about 22 weeks because they include some additional training with national security stuff. And, uh, when I went through, they did not do that, but, uh, yeah, the first couple of weeks, you know, I didn't know if I was fit enough, that type thing. And, uh, uh, but fortunately I got myself in decent shape before I went out there and uh, that aspect wasn't too much of a struggle. The hardest part for anybody out there is just being away from your family, of course, for 17 weeks, because I had, a, like I said, a brand new baby and a wife at home back in Missouri. And here I am in Virginia. And uh, but uh, tell you, tell the truth, uh, Quantico was probably the best time I had uh, oh, really? in the bureau. Hey, you're getting paid to learn how to drive a car fast, shoot a gun and, and protect yourself, you know, learn a little uh, fighting skill. So I was one time I called home and uh, told my wife, I said I, they had a two per week period that you do firearms half a day and you go to TVOC, which is a uh, 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 basic evasive driving techniques. I called home to my wife and said, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. I had, I had a great time at Quantico. Some guys don't like it. I had a great time. Yeah. Very cool. It just, now it, it watching the shows and watching stuff I've seen, uh, you, you said that D, the DEA and the FBI were, uh, you know, in the, use the same facilities and stuff. There, there seems like at least in the movies or whatever, in some of these shows, it shows like that uh, the, the the FBI and the DEA don't get along, or, or either like with local law enforcement. Is there that kind of power struggle in in, in those uh, deals? Or no, you know, uh, there may be an upper management. I mean, everybody's striving to get the most cases and the best cases and that type thing. And and but you know, I, the first five years I was in the bureau, I was actually on a DEA drug task force. I was the FBI representative on the, on a DEA task force. And, um, you know, there was no infighting. There was no power struggles. I mean, you just went out there and did your job. And I find for the most part on the agent level, at least everybody gets along great. Uh, yeah. now as you get in upper management, maybe there's more of that. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to go up in upper management. So I just, uh, <laughs> agent to agent, everything was great. Yeah. And, and again, they always uh, seem to highlight just like any type of uh, media or show they're, they're going to always try to highlight the uh, wherever there's wherever they can have any type of uh, controversy or, uh, you know, some sort of sensationalism to uh, to promote things or make. Well, you'll, to... find, you'll find agent to agent. I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, joking around with each other, you know, hey, um, like my, I have one of my best friends, he's an ATF agent. And I, I often told him, I said, we both had uh, one thing in common. And he said, well, what's that? I said, we both wanted to be FBI agents. Of course, he's, <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's about six, four and weighs about 250 pounds. And uh, if he, 
I, I make sure he knows that's a joke, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny. So talk about uh, some of the, the, the case, cases or what's the most interesting case you, you, that you had in your career or that you can talk about or. Yeah, no, I, one of the, one of the things I was probably most proud of, I was a first responder after nine 11 and got to go up to the trade centers and uh, to fresh kills landfill. And our job was basically evidence recovery. And um, we also did some remains recovery and just being part of that, uh, obviously it was a, a great tragedy, but it was also the largest crime scene in the history of, of ever, yeah. especially the guy. And um, so I was up there for several months going through de debris, uh, finding what we could to help families, uh, you know, match DNA to body parts, remains. Um, oh, man. And it's, you know, you think of it, the morbid sense of it. I mean, you're dealing with bodies and that kind of stuff, but also on the other end of it, you are trying to reconcile a situation with a family that will never see their loved one again. And um, one thing I do want to say about that, though, uh, and, and point out to people is a lot of people don't realize the agents and the other guys that responded there, the firemen, uh, a lot of those guys are still suffering today with uh, various diseases from the toxins uh, of that of that uh, tragedy. Nice. Uh, myself, I've had some cancer uh, from that, and it's been traced back to that. So I think we've lost like 19 agents now uh, after the fact due to the uh, cancer and really? no tell they're in the hundreds of uh, firemen and police officers that have lost their life after the fact. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And, and again, that was just from the uh, chemicals, uh, debris, fuels, uh, everything that, that just uh, came together at that time during the, uh, that explosions. Yeah, not only that, I mean, you, the trade centers, when were they built in the early 70s, I guess? And I'm sure there was asbestos in those things. Right. Just uh, a lot of that stuff. And, and when we first got there, I mean, you know, they were going through a lot of protocols as far as respirators. You know, they gave you a, a, basically a mask to wear on your face like you're walking around, like a lot of people are walking around now yeah. uh, because of COVID. But, uh, you know, nobody thought about it until you got into it a little bit later. And then guys started developing these things. Fortunately, they have uh, set up a victim's fund uh, to help with medical conditions uh, yeah. through the treatments and that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, uh, I, there's another series on now that's on Netflix. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's about terrorism and about, uh, the things that have, uh, these terrorist plots that they had, but then they, the plot was foiled and there's FBI agents and stuff on them too. Um, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, looking at, you know, safety in our country and, and, uh, and, and I don't know, I may be, I may just be, you know, rambling here but like some of these shows that i've watched there just recently uh the way that some of these people get in the country and and, and things they're doing and and what it takes to be able to you know even get you know search warrants or be able to uh get surveillance on people but there's but there's bad people out there that you know want to do bad stuff to uh you know us in america and hate america what, what do you what do you think or you know what do you see uh, that, you know, could be done different or, or, are people's hands tied or, I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, what, what can we do to make, make it, make it safer and make, make our country, uh, you know, more safe based on what your experience. Yeah. One thing that uh, concerns me today, obviously is our border situation, our Southern border, we've got people coming across there that basically that, you know, you know, if they, they sneak in, you don't know who's sneaking in. It could be a terrorist. It could be 
um, a variety of different individuals. And, and of course, there's a lot of people just wanting to have a better life coming in as well. Right. And um, it, it, that does concern me. Uh, one thing I, you know, I, let me tell you this. I, I was, had the opportunity to train in Israel with the Israeli security agency. They're called the Shin Bet over there. Right. And these guys are top-notch uh, anti-terrorism fellows. We got the opportunity to go over. A few of us got the opportunity to go over there and train. And uh, those guys had a saying there uh, that they relayed to us. They said, the thing about the difference between the United States and us is we're, we realize we're in a war and you guys don't realize it even after you've been attacked. Because if you realize you're in a war, you're going to do everything, every precaution possible to stop it. Right. And, uh, and unfortunately, we have uh, some systems in place that doesn't allow us to do everything that is possible. I mean, good and bad. We don't want right. to infringe on civil liberties. But there are, if if I could relate to the people how hard it is for an agent to even get a search warrant or to go up on somebody's phone, uh, a wiretap, uh, it's a very difficult process. I mean, we just don't turn it, we don't flip a switch and start listening to someone like a lot of conspiracy theorists think we do. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, you know, and and, uh, just like you say, I mean, the freedoms that we have here and and, and how great this country is. and, and, and then the people that it's, it's, it's just so weird. I, I don't understand why, why people even want to be here if, if they don't, you know, like our country uh, and want to live in it and try to change it. They can go to other countries where uh, they can have the horrific conditions that they live under and they can enjoy those uh, things there. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just. You know, you know, the things that amaze me is uh, you get people coming from these countries that want a better life and then right. they establish a community that is just like the one they left. Right. You know. No, it's sort of like people from California moving to Arizona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't Cal, don't California, my Arizona. You know? <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, again and again, we're going to go off a little political here, I guess. I mean, I'm, I just, I just feel like I want to, but it's, it's, it really is. It's just like you say. Uh, you know, there's, uh, like my buddies in Colorado right now. They got a big thing up there about not you know, eating beef and they had a no beef day, the, the governor, you know, proclaimed. And now, now they've got other initiatives, you know, on the ballot. Now they, they, they want to try to wipe out agriculture. And I, I you know, I, I just don't understand it, you know, in, 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 you know, being in the line of work you were in all those years, you know, and you get to see firsthand uh, what it's like. I think that, uh, I think that we've just become a little bit too soft and, and we need to, we need to flex our muscles a little bit more and, uh, you know, the, the one thing after 9-11, as you recall, yeah. we came together as a country. Everybody was flying their flags. Um, they knew we were going to fight for a short period of time. Yeah. We've gotten so far removed from that that we've forgotten what it was like on 9-12. And um, I mean, I hate I hate to say this, but that tragedy brought us together for a while. Right. I, I don't know what it would take today to bring us together. I hope it's not another tragedy. Yeah. Uh, another terrorist attack or something, a little, uh, something of that nature. But uh, politically, we've gotten the, the two extremes have gotten so far apart. The two parties have gotten so far apart that there's no compromise. And I, I grew up in an agricultural community, uh, grew up with Western style of life, you know, way of life, cowboy stuff. I mean, there's no cowboy common sense at all. It seems like in politics or in Washington, D.C. And maybe we need a little bit more of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Hey, so talking about uh, uh, you know cowboy and in Western life. So I, I know you rope. When did when did you start roping? Did you rope when you were a kid or? Uh, no, not much. I mean, around my dad raised quarter horses. We always had horses around, and uh, 
went out and stuff. And, and then I, you know, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a bulldogger, but I weighed about 155 pounds and, <laughs> and, uh, wasn't, <laughs> so I tried awful hard, <laughs> landed on my head a few times. Uh, but I bulldogged for several years, went out to Butch Myers, uh, and he was living in well to Kansas then went out to his steer wrestling school a few times and, uh, did that. My cousin, uh, moved back from Texas. He, he moved down to Texas for several years and, uh, he started team roping and he came back here and, uh, you know, he said, Hey man, you need to start team roping. And I thought, man, only old man with fat bellies team rope. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, went to a jackpot over in Tennessee and I had a big wipeout. and a horse stepped on the back of my neck bulldogging. And on the way back, we're driving back and my, my neck stiff, my back stiff. And I said, you know, how, how long will it take me to start team rope? <laughs> and so we started team roping, I guess I was, in, you know, 19 or so. And, uh, except for being in college. I mean, I team roped all the way up until I joined the bureau. I team roped a lot, uh-huh. uh, sort of had to put that on a hiatus and just team rope when I came home, uh, back here in Missouri, cause we were stationed in other areas, uh, where team roping was not as popular, Right. but, uh, but anyway, I came back home and I team roped for years and then I had an accident and messed up my shoulder pretty bad. And I'm eventually going to have to have a shoulder replacement. So sort of curtails the old uh, healing when you can't get your arm above your heads. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that about about team roping. Uh, like back, I, I don't know exactly when it was, but I know that that like all the roughies and and all, all the other you know uh, bull riders and stuff, they, they used to make fun of, of roping. It wasn't like a uh, yeah. you know, it wasn't like a cool event, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but now all you know, everybody ropes now. It's like it's just like cowboy golf. That's right. Yeah. So now, and and, and where do you guys live again? It's in Sykeston, Missouri. We're 150 miles north of Memphis and 150 miles south of St. Louis. It's an okay. ag community. It's not much around here except corn and cotton fields. <laughs> and, and then but how long? I'm sorry. We do have one of the largest PRCA rodeos here, the JC Rodeo Rodeo. I mean, it's a big time rodeo uh, every year in August. They bring in, uh, you know, some pretty big entertainers have been here. George Strait was here several years ago, uh, but uh, but it is a big time rodeo. Yeah. And then. Uh, how long ago did you retire from the FBI? Yeah, it was uh, 2019, uh, August 2019. Yeah, so just recently. Now, uh, you did undercover stuff in the FBI as well, right? I did a little bit, uh, cameo roles. I didn't have a big uh, big cases uh, undercover, but just cameo roles. And I, I had several um, undercover cases where I managed, uh, mostly in the domestic terrorism field, though. Yeah. And, and and you sent me some pictures of some you of some pre, um, some pretty cool pictures and with some interesting uh, guys as well. Uh, I'm not sure if we're if we're going to be allowed to post any of those or not. But, uh, it, it, the one that the one with the redheaded guy, we don't need to post if you know which one I'm talking about. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I knew okay. that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but um, I think I sent you some when I served over in Iraq as well. You can go ahead and post those. We were over there on a a decent mission. We were on. Uh, uh, training some of the uh, Iraqi intelligence uh, people and police officers, as well as doing uh, documentation exploitation, where they would go in and uh, uh, terrorist uh, hooch, and we would uh, take out the uh, computers and all all that kind of stuff, and triage it and send it back to the people who were cyber geeks, and they would, you know, get the information out, trying to find the next terrorist uh, over there. It was a great mission. How long were you over there? Oh, it was about sixty days. How? how you know, yeah, long enough. How was it? Now, so you worked with some of the Iraqi uh, uh, military as well? 
yeah, we were worked with the Iraqi military and the Iraqi police, which is a state police, um, the equivalent to the FBI, basically, uh, over there. Uh, you know, it was difficult at the time. They have a whole different mindset. Uh-huh. Uh, got into a negotiation situation. Their negotiation skills are a little bit uh, leaning toward uh, hands-on than what the FBI was used to. <laughs> of course, they are in a war zone, so it's a little different. Right. Yeah, that's uh, I, I, you know, you see that that stuff too. And again, I'm going from movies and everything else because I've never been in any of that. But I mean, even you know, a lot of times they'll have someone who's, uh, you know, uh, an enemy that's, you know, so so you know, portraying themselves as being on your side or working with you. And and you guys, how how is it just watching your backs over there with that kind of stuff? Do you guys, uh, I'm sure you have protocols for that. Like you know, this happens, that happens, just whack these guys. Yeah, there are certain protocols that uh, if you felt threatened, you need to do whatever you needed to do. Right. The uh, thing about it was before we worked with the guys, they were vetted out pretty well. They were vetted out by Big Army and uh-huh. then they were vetted out by other intelligence agencies before they got to us uh, to assist us with our mission over there. Gotcha. Now, I will tell you a funny story, though. They, uh, I had an interpreter over there and when I was in a meeting or something, he would relay what I was trying to say. And one time I thought the guys I was working with, I was trying to give them a, you know, a, a pep talk. And I was telling them about Winston Churchill, the never quit, you know, speech. Right. All of a sudden I say Frank Sinatra, my interpreter. I go, so I asked him, I said, Hey, I called him John. That wasn't his real name. Of course I said, John, well, why did you say Frank Sinatra? He goes, well, my story's better than the one you were telling. <laughs> <laughs> so no telling. And he had a kick out of uh, in Arabic. When you say Marty, it means my wife. So he would, introduce me all the time and say marty and i guess he was introducing me as his wife everywhere we went everybody thought it was really funny except for me <laughs> oh that's hilarious hilarious hey so yeah when when was it that we met up here in Wick, wickenburg i'm trying to remember now that was just a couple of months ago wasn't it yeah, it, was in, it was in february oh was it it was february yeah so it wasn't and and where else did you guys go you guys came through wickenburg and and yeah, we, uh, we, of course, we stayed there at the ranch. You recommended it. We stayed there. We were only going to stay one night, and we liked it so much we stayed a couple nights. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and then we uh, went up. Rancho de los Caballeros. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, had a great time. Met your buddy out there. Oh, you did Good You guy. didn't meet Tony? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Just shook cool. his hand. I didn't tell him I knew you because I didn't know if, uh, you know, if it was a good thing or a bad thing. No, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're good friends, Dan. That's funny. So we went from there. We went up to Sedonia, uh, then up to the Grand Canyon at, at Williams. Uh, then, of course, I had to go down to Tombstone, tuck a trip down to Tombstone, walk yeah. the streets. Yeah. Did they did they have the uh, the reenactment going on when you were there? De- definitely. Yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Yeah, that's very cool. So now, are you uh, are you, you are you not roping or anything now? Because you still got. Some- yeah, I've slayed back a little bit since I hurt my shoulder. And uh, like I said, they're, I've had an operation on it. And they're going to go in there. And they went in and cleaned it all out. And Doc tells me I'm going to have to get a replacement. So I don't know how well. If you know any guys out there that's had a replacement, that team rope, let me know. Well, I know I know um, a buddy of mine that's an equine dentist, a really good friend of mine, Randy. He's got to have one. So uh, <clears throat> I, I'm not sure when he's going to do it, but uh, – if, if he gets his done before you, I'll let you know how it goes. Well, well, I tell you what, just send me his schedule and I'll schedule mine after this. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So you you do say you, you do have a few horses now? Or you got you are you keeping any animals now? Or yeah, we still have a few horses and uh, go out there and uh, ride them around a little bit. Try to keep them legged up. But uh, I when I when I hurt my shoulder last, I sold my good horse, uh, and then I just sort of you know, I mean when you you hate to see a good one just standing out in the pasture. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been fortunate, man. I've had some great horses, some Poco Bueno horses, which were, I love those Poco Bueno bred horses. And I had an easy jet heel horse, a little mare. She was unbelievable. And when I joined the Bureau, I, I sold her that, that horse almost caused a divorce in my family. Uh, it was one of those situations where uh, I didn't want to tell my wife exactly how much I paid for this horse in 1994, which was probably about half of what I was making working at a bank. <laughs> so That's but, great. Yeah, but I ended up uh, selling that horse when I went in the bureau, and that horse um, was just an unbelievable mare. She uh, actually, um, I went to a couple of roping schools and with Clay Brown Cooper, and uh, Clay rode her at a couple of schools, and he said, "Man, you need to sit, hang on to this horse." Uh, and unfortunately, I didn't. But uh, great horse. Yeah, that's a nice compliment on your horse coming from Cleo. Yeah, no joke. Yeah, absolutely. So when you retired. Uh, do you, do you get to keep your badge or anything or do you have like uh you know where you i mean you're, you're agent for all that time i don't know why i've got this this fascination with just having a badge i mean it's just so something cool about you know you see that badge you know uh so you still you still got your your id and stuff yeah they uh they give you your credentials they call it okay credentials are stamped retired oh it is and uh, you still get to carry those and they, they have a, a, another set of credentials. You, you get one like in a shadow box. It's the one that you carry and they, they stamp retire on there. And they also give you uh, pins for how many years you've been in like a 10 year pin, a 20 year pin, a 25 year pin. Right. And they also put a retired, they put your a badge in there with it. You know, we call it a shield in the FBI. Right. They yeah, put your right. Shield. yeah. And uh, so then uh, they also send you a retired credentials that, you know, I guess, if you get pulled over by the cops, you can flash that. I don't know if it'll get you out of a ticket or not, but at least they'll know. Right. Uh, and then as well, you do get uh, re a retired badge if you want to order that. Okay. But uh, they, you know, it's pretty neat to have in the house. It gets, it's a good conversation piece. Oh yeah. I, I'd love to have them. I, I'll tell you, I, I actually just lost my wallet last week. So if somebody uh, happens to listen to this podcast that found my wallet and hasn't returned it, I just want you to know that I have a good friend that's an FBI agent and uh, we're looking out for you. Um, <laughs> I, I had to throw that out there. I also, I had another unfortunate incident. I don't think I've even talked about this on the podcast, but I had my Glock uh, 19 uh, stolen out of my pickup Ooh. and it was uh, one of those deals where, you know, uh, the snatch and grab was real quick. It was right. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who did it, but uh, anyway, I'm putting that out there too. I, I went, I filed a police report and everything. It's my fault because it actually it's in my pickup the holsters right there. And um, I bought stuff into my, into my house and it was that quick. Mm. And so normally I grab my gun first and put it in my, you know, thing and bring it in with me. Anyway, I'm just putting that out there because I'm I'm pissed about it. <laughs> my my wallet and my and my and my pistol both. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I, had I, had mine, I had a friend of mine. Uh, somebody stole his twenty three out of his truck, and I said, "Why do you, why did you leave it in your truck?" He goes, "That's where I always leave it." I said, "Well, why even have one if you're gonna leave it in your truck? I mean, it's not gonna shoot anybody there." No, you're absolutely right, and and that's the thing, man. It was totally my responsibility, and 
you know, I always usually grab it first because it's right there. And anyway, you know, lessons learned. So we're using the 19 as your uh, carry, concealed carry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had a little alien gear, you know, holster uh, just mounted right to the console in the pickup. And Gotcha. Yeah. If you haven't tried it, uh, look at the 43s. You know what? My son and I were just talking about those because I I got the little um, that little Ruger LCP two, the little three eighty, and I I've been carrying that. But you know when I, when I went and shot it, I I named it Punchy because that thing kicks. I mean it's ridiculous. Uh, but uh, for that little gun. But anyway, we were just talking about that because the forty three that's the single stack, right? It's the right. Small, yeah. Yeah. yeah because- I, but that's the they wouldn't when I left the bureau they still hadn't. Um, gave the okay for guys to wear that as their personally owned weapon. In the bureau, they issue you a weapon, right. and like a nine, Glock 19 uh, or a 26. Um, and then uh, you can have a personally owned weapon, um, you know, to carry. I mean, you don't want to carry that big 19 all the time. No. Uh, so most of the guys were, were carrying the baby Glocks. And then the 43s came out right after I retired, the approval. They came out for the approval to carry right. those right after I retired. But I love mine. I got, that's, that's my uh, carry, carry gun now. Um, had to get used to shooting. It's a little small. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big guy, but it's still small. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what holster do you use for, for carry? Do you, and, and how do you carry which position? I, I carried on my hip in the pant and, um, it's an Israeli made holster. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Um, it's a Hovis. Okay. And, uh, fits inside my pants. I really like it. Um, I know that a lot of guys don't like to carry the gun in their pants. Right. They rather carry or ankle or something like that. But I don't know. I don't time. I got my pants up and my boot down and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if I'd be very accurate with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you carry, you carry hip or you carry a uh, rear pocket or. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of on the hip. I take it right behind my hip. You know? Okay. What, yeah, that's what, where I like to. What, what are your thoughts on appendix carry? <laughs> I was never real comfortable carrying something that uh, was pointed toward things I like. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I so hear you. I, you know, but I, I watch a lot of the, uh, I watch a lot of the other guys, special, special operators and stuff that have uh, different video casts of podcasts and that and a majority of those guys like appendix carry. I, yeah. It just wasn't for me. Maybe it's cause I had a little bit of a belly or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I tend to like mine on my hip better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm definitely going to look at that. Uh, the 43 because the, the little the, the Ruger LCB2, it's a great little gun, but you know it, it's it's really really small, and uh, uh, and I I just I like Glocks, I like Glocks a lot, but the 19 was really too big to to carry concealed all the time, you know. But my recommendations are uh, Glocks and Sigs. That's the two guns that the, when I went in the bureau, they had the Sigs to start out with, and they converted over to the Glocks, and it's just what I shot through the whole time I was in the bureau. It's what I got comfortable with, and. Uh, I don't want to go away from them. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> how about ARs? Like, I've, I've, you know, some of the pictures you sent, you were carrying ARs and stuff. Do you, do you have a preference in in those or? No. Uh, I, the bureau they had the M4s. That's what we well, used. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I love those guns. But my favorite gun out of all the guns were the HK MP5s. Really? And, oh yeah, <laughs> the gun that shoots itself. <laughs> It's, it's the best gun ever, and they've just taken those away. I, I was probably one of the last agents, at least in the division I retired out of. Right. I was the last that had one, 
And I tried to hand it down to a younger agent and the principal firearms instructor said, no, nope, you're the last guy. Uh, it's too hard to work on. We don't have spare parts anymore. So we're going to sh ship it back to Quantico. Um, and I said, well, is there any way you could lose this weapon or <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but man, those are great guys. If you've never shot one, uh, go out and shoot it. Uh, they shoot 10, 10 millimeters. Uh, awesome gun. Yeah. I, the only, I've never shot one. <clears throat> the only, the only thing reason I know about them is from my kids growing up uh, playing video games. Cause they, they, yeah. they love that, that MP5. They used to say all the time. I think that's what it is, right? Yeah. MP5. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I got to tell you a story. I don't think, I don't know if I've told you this before. I don't even know if I've told on the podcast before, but um, I, I had the opportunity to rob a bank before. <laughs> so we, we had, we had a friend uh, and she was uh, worked for a security company and there was a small bank. They have like five branches here in, in Arizona. And she called me and wanted to know if I wanted to, they were going to run a training and, uh, you know, uh, want to know if I'd be interested in going in and handing a note to a teller and robbing them. And the only people that knew were the security company, the, the top bank manager, and then the Gilbert Police Department. So we met in the parking lot. This, this is my, my only claim to being like undercover something. I, I really felt like a real James Bond. But uh, I met out in the parking lot with security people and the, and the bank manager. They gave me a note. And I walked, I walked in the bank, uh, opened the door for a person, the lady leaving, go in. I, it's random, just got in line. It was a random teller. They didn't know. Uh, and the funny thing is, kind of one of the reasons I'm telling it is this one guy, oh, I'll help you over here. And I walked up there. The minute I got up there and I pulled that note out, I, it was like an adrenaline dump. And I felt so horrible doing this to this gal. And, and I uttered something some cliche it was so stupid I'm, I'm like just give me the money and and nothing will happen you know <laughs> like i don't know what's gonna happen anyway but and, and she did i got 50s and hundreds and i, I they gave me 2500 bucks obviously i didn't get to keep it but uh <laughs> anyway they, they but they did i didn't know i was going to get anything for it they gave me a hundred dollar gift certificate to uh sportsman's warehouse which was very nice but uh, what was funny is afterwards, so they went in, they debriefed everybody because they had to follow their protocols, you know, and and we came in afterwards and, and uh, I said, I go, well, how was that? Because I felt bad for her. And she goes, she goes, oh, it, it was good. She goes, but man, you you really were, <laughs> you really freaked out. And I'm like, yeah, I was more scared than she was, you know, and she could, she could pick up on that. But it was amazing how fast that happened, you know, because I just went in there, went up, gave the note, I got the money and I walked out and it was just I mean, less than two minutes. Uh, anyway. when, I, when I was in Indianapolis division, we had a guy come in and rob a bank and he told the teller, he, he went, he picked the oldest teller there. She had to be 85 years old. It looked like, but she may have been 45. I don't know. She looked 85 yeah. to me. Yeah. He comes in with a briefcase and tells us teller season teller. Uh, I've got a bomb in the briefcase. Give me all your money. She gets in an argument with the guy. She wants him to show her the bomb. <laughs> and he gets so frustrated. He leaves. She sets off the alarm. He goes across the street to Fifth Third Bank. And uh, while he's in there, the cops pull up at the other bank. She goes, well, he's over there. <laughs> they go in and arrest the guy. Of course, he didn't have a bomb. I mean, but. Oh, that's funny. Pretty brazen. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, when we were talking to everybody afterwards, one of the bank managers said that they had a customer there that came in all the time. They, they knew him really well, whatever. Well, then he got arrested in Oregon for robbing a bank up there. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Desperate, desperate people do desperate things, but 
If you're going to rob something, a bank's the least thing you want to do because they're usually cameras, bank oh. money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You better off just go to work, get a job. <laughs> I, I will say this in 24 years, I mean, I worked a lot of bank robberies and the, the success rate in solving bank robberies with the FBI is pretty daggum high. Yeah. Not a lot of success there. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get caught. You're going to get caught. <laughs> yeah. We had, a, I'll tell you one more quick story about bank robbers. Uh, when I first got in the bureau, um, I had a, you, you have a training agent for about 18 months to two years. Mm-hmm. I had a great guy, he, 35 years in the bureau. This guy had done everything, worked up in New York, worked, you know, all over the country. And so he was my training agent. So we go to my first bank robbery, man. They, they call us, there's a bank being robbed. You know, I'm, I'm touching my side, make sure I've got my gun, make sure I got my creds, you know, I'm ready right. to go. I'm ready to roll. So I go and get, get in the car with him. He pulls, he gets in the car, he starts driving he goes hey i'm gonna pull through mcdonald's get me a cup of coffee i'm what <laughs> he goes yeah let me let go so he goes to the mcdonald's he gets him a cup of coffee so we roll up to the bank and uh and he goes now this is the way you do it in the fbi if those guys can get most of the work done before we get there that's the way we want to solve this thing so <laughs> <laughs> so we get there and uh, they're you know interviewing everybody and and the seasoned guy he says uh did he talk to anybody before he came in? And, and the lady said, well, yeah, he did sit down at the new accounts desk for just a second and uh, what he was doing. So we went over to the accounts person and mm-hmm. we started interviewing her. And, and my, my, my training agent asked her, did he give a name? And she goes, yeah, he gave this name. I'm not going to say his name. And, uh, but I don't think it was him. And he told me where he may work. So we took, we took the video uh, camera shot, actually a photo to the place he said he was worked at. And asked him if they knew this guy. And sure enough, it was the right name. And he was at that place of work. He didn't show up for work that day because he had intentions. I mean, he was robbing a bank, obviously. <laughs> so we ended up arresting that guy that night. And he said, man, I was just so nervous. I didn't know what to do. Oh, I gave my him my real name. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, my God. So did he But he, did he get away with anything? He got 65, 6400 some odd dollars. And the guy had a terrible drug habit. He was oh. actually... Uh, we went to his mom uh, after we found out, you know, where he worked and what his name was, went to his mother, uh, mother's house. And she said, yeah, he's got a terrible drug problem. He's probably at this location. Went there, knocked on the door. We didn't have a warrant. So we knocked on the door. A guy came to the door and we said, hey, whatever's going on in there, it's your business. We need this guy to come out. The guy said, I'll, be, I'll get him. So he shut the door, came back, threw the guy outside. Well, obviously he didn't have all the money. So we got a search warrant to go back in that house, found all of our money inside the house that they threw him out. Uh, he was there buying crack, basically. Oh, <laughs> so. God, crazy. But, yeah, yeah. But that's crazy stuff. I mean, just thinking about that, you know, like going to those places. I mean, because I've I've been to some shady places in my life, you know, a little bit, but not as a, a an FBI agent or trying to, you know, investigate something. Uh, you know, it, you got to have a certain nerve. Uh, you know, you got to have a certain you know psychological makeup to be able to to deal with that stuff. And and you're you're such a easy seem like easy going you know gregarious uh you know um very you know social kind of guy uh that does, you don't you don't have the typical like you know uh old dragnet personality of of, <laughs> of fbi agent to me anyway i'll tell you what to me the fbi was a career and i enjoyed every minute of it i mean i it was a but if i couldn't have played baseball for the st louis cardinals which is my favorite team i played baseball for the cardinals an fbi agent to me was the best job to have and i would have stayed there i stayed there until they kicked me out they make you retire at 57 oh they do and uh 
Yeah, they do. And uh, so they kicked me out. Basically, they had to drag me out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but it was time to I mean, once you you spend that much time and you've done some things, it, your mindset starts getting a little differently as you as you get older. And it was time to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, th that song, I actually was playing that song when I rolled up and, and met you guys in town. Uh, um, Long cool woman in a black dress. I love that song. I, I listen to it all the time because I just love the line. You know, um, uh, Saturday night I was downtown working for the FBI. It just sounds sad, sounds badass. And then it says sitting in a nest of bad men. You yeah. know, <laughs> whiskey bottles piling high. And it just you know it conjures up. It's kind of like that, that that cowboy imagery. You know, just you're like you know just a badass you know yeah. but, uh, i'm i'm gonna try to uh when we publish your episode i'm gonna i'm gonna i know i won't get permission to do it but i'm gonna i'm gonna take a little snippet of that song i want to play it at the beginning uh just to to honor your service as an fbi agent and i love that song anyway i love it by the hollies i love it by uh uh ronnie dunn and by uh oh the guy from fogarty what's that what's john fogarty Oh, I don't know if John did he do an episode. Uh, I've done a uh, version of it as well. I've got to, I got to look at that because I think Vince Neil did one too from um, I don't yeah, know, yeah, that's right, Poison or whatever. But anyway, well, hey, you know the thing about it, thing about it is I've got a buddy of mine. He's a uh, he's still in the FBI. He's got a brother that's an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, he had another brother that's passed away, but he was a radiologist, and his dad was an orthopedic surgeon. And he said the funny thing about it, he's the black sheep of the family. He's the FBI, the black sheep of the family. <laughs> But when they go to Thanksgiving, they ask him to tell all the stories. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Knee replacement stories are kind of boring. I mean, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's funny. Well, hey, Marty, man, it's it's been great, great chatting with you. But I got to ask you uh, same question. I ask everybody. You, you got a favorite brand of cowboy hats? I, do. Uh, I love uh, results. I'm going with the brand. I'm going with the brand that the Cowboys wear. So. There you go. We live it every day. That's for sure. How about Cowboy boots? I think maybe I, I've got a great pair of Twisted X I love from the old days. I still wear them. They don't wear out. But uh, the Ariots are probably most comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And then what about Cowboy movies? You got a favorite Cowboy movie? Uh, Tombstone. Love that. Uh and of course, I love all the John Wayne movies, especially Cowboys, since Cleo's in there. Yeah, and yeah. He's always been my hero. I mean, I mean, he's not that much older than me, but uh, <laughs> Cleo and Jake—they're the best. They're the greatest of all time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, hey, man. I, again, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I love hearing the stories. Um, I look forward to getting my uh, junior FBI badge in the mail. Uh, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. <laughs> And uh, you guys get back out here to get that shoulder fixed. You can get rope and get back out here to Wickenburg, man. And then uh, obviously you saw all the rope in the tear. It's it's crazy out here. Oh, I was cold sweat the whole time I was out there, man. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. I was aching for it. It's awesome. Yeah, we're going to come back out next year. I'll uh, We'll get hooked up before I come out. Yeah, you bet. All right, Marty. Well, hey, man, enjoy the rest of your day. It was great talking with you. And then uh, we'll catch up soon. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. You bet. I come from a long line of legendary men, sons of the desert 
and riders on the wind. I got a restless spirit burning deep inside of me. I ain't got much, but I'm free. I've always been one to do it my own way. I'm making my living between the saddle and the stage. I don't know nobody, nothing. Everything I got's my own. Some say I'm just a band to the bone. I'm a cowboy, yes I am. I was born to rope and ride. I'm a cowboy, that's my brain. Until the day I die. From the radio to the rodeo, I'm gonna do my thing. I don't compromise on nothing. What you see is what you get. I may be broken, busted, but they ain't killed me yet. I'm a cow. 